to season three of the Irish Baptist College podcast. I'm your host, David Ellison. I'm the director of training at the college, and I'm excited to be bringing you this brand new season of podcast episodes. Recently, we invited you, our listeners, to ask us anything you did. This season is all about answering those questions. Uh, the hope is that through these episodes, you, you might find some helpful answers to your questions, but more importantly, uh, we hope that rather than simply offering answers, uh, we might also see how to think biblically and reason logically. Uh, and to help us with that today is uh, Dr. David Luke, our uh, historical theology tutor and postgraduate director. So you're welcome um, today, David. Good to be here. Uh, now, I ask everybody who comes on the podcast this, just as we kind of uh, break the ice, as you said. Um, Anything exciting been going on in your life over the past uh, few days or, or weeks or anything uh, you'd like to entertain us with? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, my car broke down and has been off the road, so that's been the, the most excitement I've had in a long time. Uh, so uh, uh, <laughs> That's not very welcome excitement. No, no, no. Uh, the, 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 the happy uh, end of the story was it didn't cost anything like uh, what I thought it was going to cost to cost to fix it so it didn't it didn't need a new gearbox so that, that's pretty that's pretty exciting Excellent. my wife has been having all the excitement she has just been on a tour of the houses of parliament in london so uh, she did that when i looked after myself at home oh oh got the violin out today David. <laughs> <laughs> well we're very glad that your wife did tour the houses of parliament because we enjoyed some house of commons uh, fudge earlier this week as well mm. so it was lovely Great. Um, well, look, lovely to have you with us, and uh, we've got some questions to work our way through. The first couple I've been asking everybody, um, and so we'll see what you can add uh, to that, and then we have a few more specific questions to move on to. Um, so first of all, is it very interesting for me to be asking these questions um, of my colleagues, but who has been the greatest academic influence on your work, whether that's style or subject or example of how they do scholarship? Um, who, who's really influenced you as a scholar? Yeah, I, I think about that. Uh, and I think back, I, I suppose, really to my undergraduate training, uh, where I uh, studied history at okay. uh, Queen's University uh, in Belfast. And I think that laid for me very good um, academic foundations. Mm. Um, I was very uh, fortunate uh, that I had a, a very uh, good uh, tutor. He was a good, very good, well, uh, highly respected uh, professional historian, but he was also a Christian okay. and uh, was very interested in church history. Uh, so again, I, I learned a lot from him, mm. I think just about how to approach church history so that certainly was uh, was very formative for me um, also to another tutor um, part of my task for him was to read parliamentary debates from the 18th century uh, parliamentary debates uh, in the 18th century were just about as inspiring as parliamentary debates in the 21st century um, so we had, we had huge piles of these documents uh, to read um, but what I did learn from that uh, I think was the importance of reading closely uh, mm. and reading carefully uh, documents. Uh, it's very easy to kind of scan your way uh, through things. Uh, so uh, the, the importance of close reading, I think I learned that uh, skill there. Um, another element that has largely gone, I think, from uh, university uh, courses today is everyone used to have to study a first arts year. 
so okay. so even though you're enrolled to, uh, in a history degree, you had to study a range of other other subjects. Mm. And uh, I studied amongst other things Russian studies, uh, politics, uh, and social anthropology. Okay. And I, I think social anthropology again was something that laid very good uh, foundations for me. Unexpectedly, uh, uh, I really did it as a bit of a filler and yeah. uh, an easy pass, as it was thought. But um, I think the thing I learned from that was, again, just that there were different ways of approaching questions. Mm. Uh, that, you know, anthropology kind of t- takes you into a world where you look at things in a different manner, yeah. uh, look at things from different angles. And I think it was very helpful, very formative for me to. Uh, to think that uh, academically speaking, uh, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I, I learned a lot. Uh, learned a lot from that, and I think I, I was able to take those things forward then into uh, my studies uh, in, in theology. Those were were kind of foundational, uh, foundational things. In theological terms, I think I probably learned quite a bit um, over the years. I think from the Dutch Reformed tradition okay. and uh, people like Herman Bavink, Cornelius van Til, Anthony Hukma. Uh, and I think I learned from there really that they, about the ability to combine classical theology uh, with contemporary approaches uh, using uh, classical theology to address uh, contemporary issues. Uh, so those things I, I think were very uh, important for me uh, again in shaping uh, my, my approach to to academic matters and again I'm sure there's a kind of a host of uh, unknown and unsung things that go on in the background that uh, I've long since forgotten about and I take take for granted yeah 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 undoubtedly everything uh, shapes us in some way whether yeah. we recognize that or not but yeah. that's uh, very interesting to hear uh, those reflections and uh, yeah great advert for for your university studies at, at Queen's anyway <laughs> could be worse. They could, have, they could have lumbered me with geography. You know, so it's a, yeah, I'm re- I'm resisting resisting the urge to to uh, fight the corner for geography. So we, we, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I suppose one of one of the one of the particular challenges of studying here at college is um studying your very personal faith in an academic matter manner and uh, I think that's something that, that all of our students struggle with to a greater or lesser degree uh, at some point. Um, so the next question is do you have any tips on how to maintain academic rigor and white hot devotion to God and uh, in a previous couple of episodes we've had a bit of pushback on whether we should be talking about white hot devotion to God or whether okay. it should just simply be academic rigor and faithfulness and um, devotion um, because there's a recognition there that we're not always talking about being on the mountaintop. There's valley experiences as well. Um, but just, I suppose, balancing those two things. Um, how, how have you done that in, in your own studies? And then as you continue to study and teach um, in this setting? Yeah, um, I think, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a well-worn uh, kind of debate, uh, mm. you know, about how we, how we balance these things, how, how we hold these things together. Um, when I uh, was an undergraduate theology student, uh, kind of required reading, uh, I suppose, was B.B. Uh, Warfield's The Religious Life of Theological uh, Students, mm-hmm. yeah. which again, very much uh, tackled this. And I sometimes, uh, famous little uh, episode, I sometimes quote to students today, uh, because 
they don't read that. You know, I'm not sure what they're teaching students today, but they uh, <laughs> they, they they don't they don't read that. Um, there's a, a little um, I say a little episode in that where he uh, says it's sometimes said that you're better to spend uh, ten minutes on your knees than you are uh, ten hours uh, in your books. Uh, and he says to which the reply is, what better than 10 hours on your knees over your books? Uh, so I think what I, what I, I pick up from that is uh, why it's important to keep uh, a warm devotional life uh, and keep close to, to the Lord. And the, the challenges, you know, are there for us all, whether we're, we're academics or, or, or not. Yeah, to, to, yeah. You know, that, that's always a challenge for us. But I think, you know, in the partic- terms of the particular challenge uh, for uh, students of theology and uh, teachers of theology, I think try not to separate the academic from the devotional entirely. Mm. Uh, and I suppose I mean by that, in academic terms, I think we're always asking ourselves, yes, I'm completing this academic study, but what does it mean? Yeah. Uh, what's its significance? What's its relevance? You don't know why am I I, I studying uh, and studying this? Uh, so so I think that's uh, that's important. You know we don't try to separate these two things entirely and to uh, and to keep them uh, really as compartments or, or separate yeah. spheres spheres of influence. But to to try to let what we're doing academically, if you like, overflow uh, into you know our walk with God and into our devotion life. How we think mm. uh, about the uh, about the Christian uh, the Christian life. I suppose uh, on a slightly different note, uh, I think it's important to remember uh, for students that love for God and love for the theology are not the same thing. Mm. And uh, we can get caught up entirely in the study of theology Mm. and mistake that uh, for love for God and and service of God and, and, and devotion to God. Uh, uh, so it is possible, uh, you know, to even to study Orthodox theology, to, to love Orthodox theology, and yet I say to mistake that for, for love for God. Mm. Uh, so I, I think we do have to, to work hard to make sure that, so even if we're studying good theology and Orthodox theology, that we're always thinking, well, well what does that mean about my relationship with God, my, my yeah. walk with God? How does that, how, how does that uh, apply apply to me. Um, there's one famous definition of, of theology that theology is the art of living rightly before God, uh, and I think that's a very helpful uh, definition of theology. Uh, you know, we're always trying to think, well, how does this help me in my 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 walk with God? How does this help me to, to live before Him in an in an appropriate way? Yeah, uh, that's really helpful. I think it's uh, so important just to be reminded that. Um, you, you walk into all kinds of dangers once you start divorcing things from your walk with God. Yeah, and, yeah. Be, and studying theology should be one of those things that you, you never divorce from your walk yeah. for God, but sometimes, yeah, yeah we do. Yeah. yeah, and again, the danger is, you know, that uh, these things become an end in themselves. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, idolatry has been described as a, you know, a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing. Yeah. Uh, and that can happen with theology, theology. as well. You know, yeah. that a good thing can become an ultimate thing. But rather, uh, I think the importance of seeing theology as a means to an end, uh, mm. to draw us closer to God, to help us walk with God, yeah. rather than as an end in itself. Yeah. That's really good. Um, uh, at this point in the other podcasts, I've been recommending a book. So um, let me recommend another one. Um, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life uh, by Donald Whitney. Um, so not necessarily touching exactly on theological study and devotion, but lots of 
principles in there that can be helpful and beneficial um, for people. So uh, I commend that to you and I'll put a link um, to that book in the show notes. Yeah, I read that many years ago and uh, remember it very, uh, very favorably, very, very, very helpfully. Great. And uh, there's a there's a, a great uh, story in it that I often uh, recall about. I think the guy's name was Tom Landry, uh, who was um, a very famous coach of the Dallas Cowboys, uh, American mm-hmm. football team. And uh, he said that his job was to make young men do things that they didn't want to be in order that they become the people they want to be. Uh, and, uh, you know, the relationship of that to, to spiritual disciplines, yeah. that sometimes we have to do the hard things Definitely. if we want to become the, the people we want to Definitely. be. Definitely. Great. Well, there you go. That's the first time that the recommendation I've given has been endorsed by our guests. So I appreciate the endorsement. So, uh, yep, definitely pick up that one. And um, I, I think there's a new edition or version out. Probably. It, so uh, it may not have that exact title, but Spiritual Disciplines yeah, well, will be... I say uh, it's a very... Uh, it was a long time ago I read it, so... Yeah. Um, well, let's move on to some uh, more particular questions that are related to some of the material that you teach um, here here in the college, David. Um so the first question is, uh, and this is maybe you think a strange one for a historian <laughs> looking forward to the future in terms of, um, the, the question is, what, what do you think is the biggest cultural challenge on the horizon um, that students need to prepare for? Um, suppose we're thinking about students who are going into Christian ministry or Christian leadership or service in some sphere. Um, so you do teach a, a module, uh, Christianity and Culture. Um, However, I, I remember from hearing you teach historical theology that there's nothing new under the sun <laughs> and all of the heresies that were fought previously just uh, reiterate themselves in, in new guises. So hopefully some of that historical theology will inform this as well. But um, with the proviso that we know you can't tell the future, but yeah. as, you, as you kind of look at trends and um, what, what might you anticipate might be problems that we need to think about um, in the future? Yeah, it's difficult in one sense, as you say, to uh, foretell the future. Um, there's a little bit, uh, I've probably stolen this from an advertising slogan somewhere that I, for a product I can't remember, <laughs> uh, and that is that the future is now. Uh, and uh, I, I think, you know, we are living through uh, a time of serious transition um, mm. in, the, in the Western world, not only in terms of the church, uh, but in terms of the wider uh, the wider culture, and yeah. um, uh, although it's been a, been about uh, for for quite qu- quite a while, I think we are uh, really having to to come to grips with and uh, terms uh, come to terms with the the effects of the idea that truth is only a personal construct, mm. uh, and I think uh, you know, we're, we're seeing uh, that the effects of that become much more evident. So in one sense, it's nothing new. Uh, we've been living with this for a while, uh, but I think it's really, really beginning to, to bite uh, in society now, and we are beginning to see uh, evidence of that, uh, that all around us, and I think that will become an increasing, uh, increasing issue for us uh, as Christian ministers uh, in, the, uh, in, in, the coming, in the coming years. Um, I think it becomes increasingly evident to us also on a more positive note that this uh, type of truth is only a, a personal construct, uh, is evidently an unlivable life. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, 
another good illustration of, 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 of this recently. You know, uh, if truth is only a personal point of view, a personal construct, and, and bears no relation uh, to the wider uh, reality of, of the world in which we live, why is everyone so angry on Twitter? <laughs> you know, yeah. so, you know, uh, you don't, uh, I'm not a huge follower fan of Twitter, but, uh, or, uh, you know, Twitter or any other social media, mm. you know, it doesn't take much to get people mad. No. Uh, uh, and nobody's on there saying, well, you have your truth and, and I have my truth. Uh, you yeah. know, so, you know, because this idea that we all have our own kind of personal truth, our own kind of construct that doesn't correspond to reality, it is an unlivable life. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's uh, that's important. So, so I think uh, as Christians, uh, as those who are uh, commenting in society, those who are preaching truth to society, I think that's something that we need to uh, we need to highlight. Uh, that we need to, to demonstrate that this kind of idea we all have our own truth. We all live according to our own truth. You have your ideas, uh, and I have mine. Uh, I, I think that's something that we've got to tackle. Something we've got to got to demolish, you know, um, Paul talks about the idea that you know, we, we use the, the weapons of spiritual warfare uh, to demolish strongholds, you know, those kind of strongholds of the mind, mm. uh, and I think that is a challenge for us to begin to demolish this kind of way of, uh, way of thinking mm. uh, and begin to, begin to show how, uh, uh, how absurd it is and how, how unlivable it is. Um, uh, Francis Schaeffer, a uh, famous Christian uh, apologist, uh, makes a comment somewhere that uh, man cannot make his own world and then live in it. Uh, and I think that, you know, not probably 40, 50 years ago, but it's probably more true than ever today yeah. that we're trying to construct our own world and live in it, and it just doesn't work. Yeah. So, so I, I say I think we need to be able to work on that. Uh, we need to be able to expose that uh, and demonstrate just how false uh, a, view, uh, a view it is. Much of this of course then comes back to the whole area of authority. Mm. Uh, you know, how do we, uh, you know, what, where does our authority lie? Mm. Uh, for many people they simply have overthrown the idea of, of authority. Uh, um, I say that I think will become increasingly a challenge for us uh, as we preach the, preach the Word of God. Uh, and we find that I think it's evident to some extent even in churches today uh, that if uh, someone preaches something, teaches something, uh, there's very often a sense uh, that people aren't responding to the word of God. That's simply the preacher's opinion, you know. So yeah. you have your opinion, uh, I have mine, yeah. you know. So everything kind of falls down to the areas of opinion. So the whole area of authority, I think, is a huge uh, area of challenge for us today that we yeah. are able to uh, preach and proclaim uh, the message of God on the authority of the of the scriptures. Yeah. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, tr again, even trying to educate Christians about this, that it's not all about simply a matter of opinions, that we do take our stand upon the, the authority of, of God's word. So again, we need to we need to think a little bit about that, that, that crisis of authority that we have in society today. Mm. Yeah, big challenges that have yeah. been rum rumbling for, for some time and don't look like uh, they're going to disappear anytime. No, no, anytime I, I, I don't. I don't think they are. I, I, I don't think they are. But I, I suppose one of the things um, that we do uh, need to remember is, you know, while the church, in many respects, is facing this huge crisis uh, 
in, in the Western world. Uh, I think we also need to remember the church is exploding mm. across the world. You know, across the world, we're witnessing huge growth, yeah. huge growth. You know, there are more Christians in the world today than there have been in all the previous 20 centuries of the church combined. Mm. So there are huge numbers of Christians in the world. Uh, so while we might be struggling with certain things in the West, uh, I think we always continue to, to reassure ourselves that God is building this church. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, uh, and, uh, not to get overly anxious about the, the various crises that we see putting uh, us in the West and the various challenges uh, we face. Uh, I had an Indian friend who once commented about the growth of the church in India and said, yes, God is still building his church, he's just moved the building site. You know, so we are seeing kind of huge uh, expansion of Christianity in the world and I think we should be greatly encouraged by that, not not become too introspective for the challenges that we face and what God is doing across the world. Yeah, important to have that global vision which then helps balance and offer some encouragement. Well, we, we also, uh, as well as uh, receiving a question about the future, we also receive some questions about the past, or at least studying the past um, as well. So I've one question in two parts, so we'll ask it in two parts. Um, first question, why should someone engage in studying church history? Uh, and I suppose um, for those who are historians or enjoy history, it's kind of like, well, why wouldn't you? Um, but I think maybe for others... Strange names, I think especially early church history as well. Um, strange names in faraway places. Um, very difficult to put it all together. Um, what, why, why should I put the effort into doing that? Uh, what, what's going to be the benefit? Or is there any? Uh, you, I'm assuming you're going to say there is. <laughs> are you just asking for a friend here? <laughs> yes. Why, why do historians not use colouring pencils and maps? <laughs> Yeah, um, I suppose one, one of the most uh, popular uh, programs on television at present is uh, Who Do You Think You Are? Mm. Uh, that's something that's taken up in UK, Ireland, uh, different different parts of the world because people are interested in, in their roots, interested yeah. in their story, interested in where they came from. Yeah. Uh, and for us as Christians, this is part of our story. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the past is part of who we are, uh, part of what makes us uh, the people that we are, uh, the people that we are today. Um, so again, I think just in terms of self-understanding, uh, mm-hmm. we want to think about the history of the church. And remember the, the distinctive thing about God, that the true and the living God is, he is the God who acts in history. Yeah. Uh, and this is a point uh, that God makes repeatedly, uh, particularly through the, uh, through the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, it becomes very evident, obviously, in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the, mm-hmm. into the world that here's a God who actually acts and who acts in history. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think we want to review, uh, look back over uh, the history of the church and ask ourselves, well, how has God acted? Uh, and mm-hmm. to see that as part of, part of our story uh, yeah. and to begin, to, uh, to, begin to, to learn from that. So, so I think that's part of, part of the answer, that it is part, part of our story. Uh, I think in terms of uh, historical theology, if you like, uh, you know, we think in terms of how God has raised up teachers in the past. Mm. Uh, so they are also our teachers. You know, so, uh, you know, when we, we read in Ephesians how God has appointed those who are uh, you know, preachers and teachers and uh, pastors and so forth. Uh, these people in the past are part of that, that tradition. Mm. So God has raised these people up, uh, 
not only for the sake of their own time, but for, for many of them, mm. uh, so that we continue to, to learn from them, uh, learn from them today. So, uh, <clears throat> so, so again, uh, you know, I think we neglect a gift that God has given us uh, if we don't go back uh, and learn from the great teachers of, of the past. So there is a reason why many yeah. of these people uh, are, are still being read uh, centuries after the, after they died, mm. uh, and we deprive ourselves. Uh, if, if we don't listen to what God is telling us, telling us through through those the guys, I often uh, tell my students a story of a very limited uh, repertoire of anecdotes. So I'm sure they're probably fed up with me uh, me telling them uh, the, the story. And uh, it must be back about 1996. Uh, I went to hear John Stott, a uh, famous author and preacher, uh, speaking in Belfast. Uh, during the course of his talk, uh, he talked about Athanasius. Mm-hmm. Uh, famous uh, early church father from the uh, uh, particularly associated with the, the Aryan crisis and uh, at the end of the talk in the Q&A somebody said uh, should we still read Athanasius today and uh, uh, stopped, paused briefly and said hmm, should we still read Athanasius today or the modern evangelical melodrama <laughs> uh, so <laughs> Uh, and the point he, he then went on to make was, he said, the benefit of reading people like Athanasius and others today is that we discover many of the things that we're wrestling with, the church has already wrestled with those. Mm. You know, So we end up, uh, in a sense, reinventing the wheel. Yeah. Uh, whereas if we knew our history better, if we knew uh, previous generations of, of writers, theologians, pastors better, we'd see that they very often have wrestled with the things that we're wrestling with, you know, back to uh, the idea that there's nothing new under the sun. So there is kind of great benefit, uh, I think, in in that regard, in in reading from the past and and learning from the past uh, and seeing how people uh, tackled uh, questions that we think are we think are new, new questions, but they're, well, they're very often old questions and new clothes uh, yeah. uh, and, to, and to learn from them uh, in that regard. Uh, the other thing I, I think uh, is to remember, uh, again, we have a bit of a tendency in, in the modern world to think that new is best, mm-hmm. and, uh, <clears throat> but we're guilty of what uh, C.S. Lewis famously called chronological snobbery in that mm-hmm. regard. Uh, where we think new is best and we have nothing to learn from the past. Uh, and again, that's a, a hugely arrogant way of uh, approaching life, approaching church life, that all of that is old hat. Yeah. Uh, and we have nothing to, to learn from that. Uh, you know, but we have a huge amount to, to learn uh, from the, the theology of the past, uh, from uh, expressions of the church mm-hmm. in the past, the issues that people were wrestling with in the past, the experiences that people have had in the past. Uh, you know, there's so much to learn uh, learn from that, uh, mm-hmm. uh, how they thought about life, uh, how they thought about God's dealings with them, uh, how they thought about the peaks and the troughs in, in church mm. life. Uh, and again, I, I think sometimes we end up with a very kind of superficial reading of, of the Christian life because we're not more aware yeah. of, of what people have struggled with and wrestled with uh, in the past. Well, that's really encouraging and uh, a little bit convicting as well. Um, neglecting God's gifts. Um, I think that's, uh, I've never heard it expressed in that way. I think that's really helpful, David. Um, so as we uh, sit here encouraged and convicted, the next question is, what resources do we go to? So if we think we've <laughs> neglected um, learning from church history, um, 
what resources would you point us to, whether that's kind of contemporary authors surveying church history or whether there might actually be some individual figures or works of church um, from church history that you might think we should consider looking at or picking up or uh i knew you were going to ask this <laughs> and i actually find it an incredibly difficult question to answer um it's a very long list is it <laughs> yeah it is yeah i i think i think that, i think that's part of it that it is uh <clears throat> Yeah, it's a very long list uh, and very difficult because I, I, I find when I start to read things, uh, they naturally pique my interest. Uh, <laughs> and when they might pique my interest, they might not uh, pique, yeah. pique someone else's. Um, but uh, as I thought about it, my, my mind went back uh, to uh, a piece of advice that John Piper uh, gives somewhere. Uh, and his piece of advice is to pick a figure from the past, a, a significant Christian from the past, and to immerse yourself in his life and his writings. Okay. So the idea that you you kind of master one person, one person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, his choice uh, was uh, with Jonathan Edwards, mm-hmm. and uh, and that he was one of the people who got me interested in Jonathan Edwards. Uh, uh, and <clears throat> this is another one of my very boring anecdotes uh, that. Uh, <laughs> I met him on one occasion and told him this. Uh, I said, you know, you were partially responsible for getting me interested in Jonathan Edwards. And he said, well, I'm prepared to take the blame for that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a good idea. You know, okay. you, you think about someone and begin to learn about their world, their challenges, their their theology. You know, whether that's Jonathan Edwards or or C. H. Spurgeon or, or or John Owen or whatever it is, I, I think that's probably probably a good way uh, a good way forward, and that that will probably then introduce you to other ideas, other themes, other okay. other challenges. Yeah, that's not uh, the answer I was expecting, but I think that's a good piece of advice to to pick one individual and then read biographies or works that they've written themselves. Yeah. Or that kind of yeah. Thing. And the other thing I would say about, about reading the, the past, uh, again, I think, is to do so critically, uh, and I mean mm. that in a very positive yeah. way, uh, you know, uh, that, you know, people, uh, Richard Baxter's famous saying is that the best of men are men at best, yeah. you know, and these people do have, uh, do a feet of clay, uh, yeah. so I think to read critically, uh, and it's not that you set these people up on a pedestal, uh, I think they're perfect, no. but you learn from them and you learn from their their mistakes as well and you're prepared yeah. to say yeah well sometimes they did they did get it wrong yeah, uh, and, sure. I, and I can learn from that for sure great final question and uh, perhaps the easiest one because it's a bit hypothetical <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> um, so if you had unlimited time and resources uh, what academic work would you love to produce? Um, maybe maybe you want to consider your magnum opus. I don't know, but um, what 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 is one that you would love to produce if uh, you had unlimited time and resources? Yeah, um, probably the easy answer to that one uh, for me is um, uh, Jonathan Edwards. Uh, the critical edition of his works runs to seventy three volumes. Yeah. Uh, Twenty-four of those have been fully transcribed uh, and put into print. So, okay. unlimited time, unlimited resources. 
I would do what the other forty nine, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of transcribe them and uh, you know uh, annotate them and uh, bring okay. bring bring them up to edit, bring them up to date. So I think that might be might be one. Uh, maybe a more doable thing uh, is uh, I think I would like if I had time and space at some point. Uh, to examine this influence of C.H. Spurgeon amongst Irish Baptists, okay. uh, because I think he uh, was hugely influential uh, in the late nineteenth century when the modern, if you like, Irish Baptist movement yeah. was getting off the ground, and uh, I'm not sure we've given sufficient attention to just how influential uh, he was. Not only actually amongst Irish Baptists, but he was hugely popular amongst Irish Presbyterians as well. Mm. You know, he followed him with great devotion and great interest yeah. uh, in his life. So, so maybe uh, a little bit of think about that. I'm not fully sure how that would be uh, be investigated of some vague ideas, but, okay. but maybe someday. Maybe Excellent. Someday. Excellent. Um, and this question is not to suggest that you've been sitting on your hands because you, you've already been published and you've contributed a number of chapters to... Um, primarily collections of works on Jonathan Edwards yep. and, and his theology and uh, you've been published in a number of journals on a wide variety of topics so uh, we'll include some links to, to some of those works uh, in the show notes so if people want to pick Jonathan Edwards and then read what David Luke has written about Jonathan Edwards they'll be able to <laughs> uh, be able to source those things their education will be complete <laughs> <laughs> I would also have to add I don't get any royalties from that so uh, you know so feel, feel free to feel free to, to read without any, any fear uh, that you will be charged excellent uh, well thank you David for your time My pleasure. Um, not just today but also just in preparing um, answers uh, to the questions uh, for today and uh, thank you for listening to the Irish Baptist College podcast. Uh, the college uh, remains committed to training men and women for gospel service, both here in Ireland uh, and across the globe. Uh, and if you're interested in preparing for ministry at a theological college that is academically rigorous and vocationally focused, then I want to invite you to explore the opportunities available to study with us at the Irish Baptist College. You can find out more on our website, irishbaptistcollege.org and I'm pleased to say that the college is now open for applications for September 2022 and I'd be delighted uh, if you were among our number and I'd come in there.